0: Amen. You can be seated. And now, after seeing God, seeing ourselves rightly, seeing Christ, it's time to hear from the Word of God. And so we're going to release our our children's section and allow them to go hear the Word of God um, in their context as well. And uh, can we give a round of applause to these guys who lead us in worship, please? Um, Just continually writing songs that... um, Uh, are based out of the Word of God and uh, lead us to sing um, not just flippant words that just mean nothing that um, we just make up and desire to sing, um, but words that um, are are in line with the the Word of God and that help us to feel the right affections as we sing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing over over this time that we spend together. Father, we come before you today and um, we have... Such an uh, an amazing opportunity to look at your word together, um, God. I know that um, all of what we do is is important, but there is nothing more important than seeing your word and allowing it to to change us. Um, God, we also know that uh, that. As we look at your word slowly, methodically, as we uh, look at the details, as we meditate, as we linger, as we stare a long time at your word, and we allow it to have its great effects on our soul, it will produce in us... um, Uh, fruit and eternal life, um, something more valuable than gold or silver um, or all the money in the world as we linger long over the simple words, the sentences of your text and allow us, our souls to seep in it and uh, to sit in it and to allow it um, to change us and wash over us and affect us um, that we might see you and see ourselves and see Christ and be changed by your word. And God, that we ultimately would be people who who are mature, grow to maturity and look like you, uh, back conformed into the image that we were created and in an uh, all-satisfying relationship with the God of the universe, that our sins might be for, forgiven and that we might gaze upon you where there is fullness of joy forevermore and all of eternity. God, do this great work as we look at the Words that you've given us. You wrote us a book. You gave us your words in a book, um, inspired divinely by your spirit. And these every words, uh, every word, every sentence um, has purpose here. You, you've not done anything on accident. And so allow us to look at the details and be transformed by it. I pray God that if there's anybody in here, who doesn't know you, God, that you would work in the soil of their hearts and that you would prepare it for the seed, that it might take root and produce fruit and last. And I pray, God, for those uh, in in here that do know you, that you would add to our faith, um, that you would build us up and give us greater understanding, maturity, and uh, that we would glorify you, that we would base our lives on the truth of your word, not upon what we feel, or just simply what we want, or what we've been told about you or Christianity, but what your word says, that we'd build lives upon what a true Christian looks like and what your word says that we should be about, that our lives should be about. Um, no matter all the fame, all the publicity, all of the, uh, all of the uh, notoriety, all of the fortune in all of the world um, will never um, satisfy Uh, the the depths of the the commands that you have given us in your word. Only Christ has done that and yet only your truth teaches us to live based upon those things and not the world's. And so God just change us. We need you today. In Jesus name. Amen. If you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8 that would be wonderful. That's where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 8. I'm excited to be in the word with you. It's um Going uh, go, going to be uh, an incredible time as we close out a section, um, and uh, and let me just tell you about that. So briefly, before we read, if you have been here for the past few weeks, um, we have been in a series that started with uh, uh, that started with. Uh, verse four in chapter eight, excuse me, and now moving into where we're going to be in in verse twenty one. What I mean by that is, yes, we're walking through the book of Luke, but we kind of co- could have created a mini series out of these past few sermons. Okay, the past three sermons and then this one will be connected. And so, um, again, to to articulate to you more clearly, this is connected to and the conclusion of the parable of the sower. Okay, so in your Bible, if you look at that, you can kind of create to bracket if you like to write in your Bible um, from verse four, the parable of the sower, where it starts all the way down through verse 21, which wheres where we're going to be today. This is connected to and the conclusion of of that um of that parable, the parable of the sower. It doesn't, uh, it, the subtitles don't articulate that. They give you some um, understanding of what's included in those different sections, but this is indeed connected and the conclusion of that parable. And so as we get into this, let me tell you that we are continuing with the same theme, which is this. Which is true believers, true believers, true pe- uh, true followers of Jesus, true disciples, those who are truly saved. Right? They have certain characteristics. We understand that as one principle. We understand also that not everybody who responds to the word of God right away truly knows Christ, and, and that's a, a kind of a scary thing. It, it is a scary thing, but we understand from the scriptures that it's t- it's told us throughout all these this uh, time that we've spent in the parable of the sower that not everyone who responds to the gospel right away, the the good news of Jesus Christ, truly has salvation. That should make us wonder, how how do we gauge that? What should our response be? What do do we do with that information? Um, Also, it helps us to understand when we share the gospel, the different responses that will happen as we share the gospel. And so today, again, we're concluding this section to understand the true believer versus maybe the false convert, okay? And uh, I'll show you how all of this this is connected. Um, but before I do, I want to read and then um, I'm going to give us our one point. There's only one point today. And we'll talk about how this has been connected since verse 4 all the way down to where we are today in verse 21. And then um, we'll simply walk through these verses and allow us to come to an ultimate conclusion at the end. So let's read verses eight, uh, chapter eight, verses 19 through, through 21. Chapter eight of Luke, verses 19 through 21, the conclusion of the parable of the sower section. Ready? And then we move into the Jesus calming the storm next week. Verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and they do it. The title of this sermon today is, be careful how you hear, that we should receive the word of God with obedience, okay? This is the main point. The main point is that true believers in Jesus Christ hear the word of God and respond in obedience. Plain and simple, okay? It's very simple, it's not complicated. You're not like, hey, let me get the meaning between the meaning. Um, there is no um, other meaning than that. That true believers in Jesus Christ hear the word of God and then they respond to the word of God in obedience. That's characteristic of one who truly knows the Lord, okay? And that's our first and only point. True believers hear the truth of God's Word and respond in obedience. Now, that sounds cliche, right? Like, no duh, like we have to listen and obey, right? But the truth of the matter is there's more to it than simply doing good moral action based upon the Word of God, Your whole thought process is conformed to the word of God. The whole trajectory of your life, how you think about things, your worldview, where you spend your time, your money, your energies, everything is conformed to the word of God. What you think a Christian should be like, your life being consumed with the mission to make disciples and actively sharing your faith on a regular basis, right? Consistency in the local church. Spending time in God's word daily, right? Where the, uh, the Bible will tell us in Joshua, even I think about where how he meditates on his word day and night, right? That's called of all Christians. So the Bible, the truth of God's word and specifically the gospel message, right? which is that God is holy. We are sinners. There's a punishment for sin. Jesus died to pay that punishment for us, and now we respond in faith. We receive salvation. We're changed by his word, and we get to be with him forever in a place the Bible calls heaven. That gospel message, even that message, again, true believers respond with hearing and then obeying, responding rightly to what they hear. So this is the main point of the section, okay? So be easy for us to get through, okay? So what we see and how this is connected, we started, remember, with the parable of the sower. What we learned, starting in verse four of this chapter, chapter eight, is that as the word of God goes out, that was connected to, to the seed, right? As the seed goes out, or as the word of God goes out, remember this? Yes? Yeah, all right, as the word of God goes out, listen, different things will happen. Jesus is explaining this to his disciples to help them understand as they live on mission, as they share their faith, as they make disciples, as they live for the sake of the kingdom, different things will happen as they scatter the seed of the gospel. One thing is that nothing will happen. Sometimes when you share the gospel, there will be zero penetration. It's like when you sit down with a, with a friend and you share the gospel, you say, listen, this is, this is what God has done, this is what Christ has done, and this is how you are to be saved. And literally, it just washes right over. There's no penetration in the heart whatsoever. And something that you're so sure of, something that you have been convinced of by the word, it, it has no penetration into the heart. It, it, it just washes right over, and it looks like they do not understand what you're saying. And they understand to some degree but it just takes no root. It's no ability to penetrate the soil of the heart and for that person to see the truth. We've all seen that. That was the parable. Of the rocky soil, I mean, of the hard soil. We move secondly into what we saw as the rocky soil. The rocky soil is one that has surface of of good soil, a surface level amount of good soil, but underneath, what we read in these verses four through nineteen, is that there is a rock bed underneath. That rock bed, the 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 analogy is uh, pointing us to the the to, to the um the presence of sin, sin is underneath the surface. And that person has no idea, and the sower has no idea, right, that there's this rock bed of, of, of rock underneath the, so, the soil so that when, we, when they cultivated the ground, they didn't get so far deep as to break up that rock right? And yet it's not so far deep that the plant can uh, dig down and and develop roots, a root system. And so this person, this analogy, this metaphor is for the one who receives the word of God instantly with joy. Yes, Jesus, right? And and says this is, there will be benefit to this with joy. And yet, because they're receiving Christ for the, for mainly the, the, the temporary benefits, rather than the essential reason why we receive Jesus Christ, which is the forgiveness of sins, right? So because there's a surface level reason um, to receiving Christ, rather than the foundational reason of either he forgives my sins or I pay for them myself. I'm not being picky or choosy. I'm staying with Jesus. This person receives them for maybe surface-level reasons. And because of that, the sin in their heart that is down deep prevents that root of the gospel from, from uh, securing itself and taking on nutrients. So what happens is the reason why they receive Jesus Christ, again, for the better life now, Jesus, right? When trial and tribulation come, disillusionment comes. Well, this isn't what I thought would happen when I received Jesus. I thought this was gonna be better life now Jesus. He was gonna fix everything and make everything wonderful. And so when things get hard, when the sun comes out and scorches it, it just withers. Because there's sin underneath that needs to be recognized. And the truth of the matter is, is this is a a lot of what our culture is responding to. Okay? I don't mean to be like the... um, the the culture basher in any way. But the reality is, this is just true. And the majority of our churches, this is the response. Receive Jesus. But there's an element on the front end of the gospel that must be focused on, which is the awareness of sin. The front half of the gospel needs to be explained. The awareness of sin underneath the soil, inside the soil of our heart. And the reason why we trust in Jesus, listen, it's because our sins need to be forgiven, not because he's a great option. Right? Because our sins need to be forgiven. And there's only one way in which that happens. And it's through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. This prevents us from being like the Pharisees who were picky and choosy. They didn't like Jesus because he didn't meet or conform to their expectations. Those who have received Christ understand that there's no room for that. We just, where else are we gonna go? Like the apostle said. We need our sins. Forgiven, And so the one in the rocky soil receives for, for surface level reasons in a sense, right? And yet the, the, the rock underneath is preventing that root from, from going deep. Thirdly, what we see is that thorny soil, okay? The thorny soil, that's the one, if, if soil number two was the one who's unaware of the sin and the real reason to need Jesus, right? Soil number three is the one who's unwilling to repent, Of that sin. So, what happens is this person responds to the gospel, begins to kind of grow, and yet the thorns, the cares of this world, the riches and the pleasures of the world begin to choke it out. This person is unwilling to repent. They say, I'll receive Jesus, but I'm going to kind of sink him up with my own life with my own will, with my own desires, with my own trajectory, with, my, with, with what I want out of this life. We're gonna to try to mesh these two things together. And listen, that does not work. Why doesn't that work? Because eventually you will have to choose. You will have to choose. It will not always work. You will have to choose Jesus or the world, Jesus or your money. You can't serve both. You will hate one and love the other, or you will love one and, and hate the other. And so when this time comes to choose humility, submission, following, spending time in his word, giving him my soul, my, my heart every day, or pursuing my own gain. They choose their own gain and they're choked out. And then fourthly, listen, we have the good soil. The good soil is the one that when the seed is planted, the soil is ready for it, the seed takes root, and this plant grows and, is, and produces fruit and lasts, right? And multiplies their lives. This is the one who is truly saved. So listen, this is what we've been talking about since the beginning of the parable of the sower. This helps us to understand, first of all, that not everybody who responds instantly to the gospel message is truly a Christian. Secondly, it helps us to look at our lives and to say, listen, I responded, but do I look like the one who is persevering in my faith and producing fruit? That's the true believer. It also helps us as we share the gospel to understand how different people will respond to this message, okay? So that's where we got. Verses 16 through 19 was the following passage after the parable of the sower. And what Jesus was alluding to here, he was building on that parable. And here's what he was saying. He was saying that this gospel message explaining what was happening in the parable of the sower, that this gospel message is going forth. And here's what he did. He used a lamp and a light instead of a seed and a soil. He said, this is what's happening. The lamp is being shown. It's shining bright. The seed is being spread. And what it will do is it will reveal all that is hidden. Now, what he's meaning by this is is, is building on the parable saying this. When the gospel goes out, it will expose the true condition of the heart. When the word of God goes out, listen close, when the word of God goes out, it will expose the true condition of your heart, just like when the seed went in the soil. How do we know what the condition of the soil was? We know when the seed went in it. It revealed, it showed the condition of the soil by whether or not that plant lasted or didn't. So the gospel message will go out like a lamp. It will expose, it will shine bright, and we will see what's hidden in the heart, whether someone is truly saved or not continuing with the same theme. And the conclusion that we came to in those verses, listen, is this, is that you must be careful then how you hear or respond to or listen to the word of God because everything hangs on it. Remember this? Everything rests upon how you respond to the word of God. That seed, when it goes out, that lamp, when it's shining, right, will expose what's the condition of the heart And for you, as someone who hears the word, hears the gospel, you must respond a certain way. Listen carefully, hear it with care, right? Be careful then how you hear the word because it will expose the condition of your heart whether or not salvation exists, okay? And so as we move into these verses, listen, I'm giving you that because we don't have a lot to talk about today other than to reiterate that, okay? In these verses, verses 19 through 21, he's telling us the same exact thing. Okay, listen, ready? The seed will go out, the lamp will shine. The condition of the soil or of someone's salvation will be exposed, okay? Be careful then how you hear the word because how you listen to it and how you respond will reveal the condition of your heart or your true salvation or lack thereof. Therefore, how should one respond when they do hear the word of God? Well, this passage tells us it should be in obedience. That's how you're careful. That's how you should listen. That's how you should respond when you hear the word. If you hear the word of God and you do not respond in obedience, it washes over or you respond for a little while and then you walk away or you just pretend like you didn't hear or you kind of take note and then forget about it. It is characteristic of the two soils that respond for a little while and then fall away it is revealed that the person that thinks he has may not. But if you hear the word of God and you respond with obedience, if you're careful how you listen and you respond by obeying, right, then it's revealed that that soil is good and that gospel seed is taking root. So to give you that setup, I'm just helping you understand the, the main point of this. So now... Let me help you understand how we got there. Look at your text, okay, ready? These verses are in other places in the Bible, Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, and Mark chapter three, verses 31 through 35, right? And these verses help us dramatically. Listen, in those other places, this passage is on the front side of the parable of the sower. Here in Luke, it's on the back side of the parable of the sower, right? It's helping us again to understand the same point, right? Believers in Jesus respond a certain way. Be careful how you listen. How should you listen? You should listen with a response of obedience. That shows us that the soil is right, that there's true salvation. So set this up, ready? As we look at this, here's what we understand, that if Luke has the right chronological order of this, okay? If Luke has the right chronological order, what I mean by that is that in the other Gospels, it's on the front side of this parable, okay? So give you a little insight, um, sometimes the gospel writers move pieces around. They're not always in chronological order. can't be because they're different, right? But we understand that the Holy Spirit inspired the word of God and is capable of taking an instance and putting it in certain places and using it for the truth of of God no matter where he places it. Still Holy Spirit inspired, infallible, without any fault, okay? So in here, if this is after the parable of the sower, then we know that this is what's happening, okay? Jesus has gone out of the house. There's crowds. There's people following him, right? Thousands, multitudes, tons of people. They've pushed him back to the sea. You guys remember this? The crowds are pushing him back. He gets on the boat. He sits down in the boat, and he begins to teach his disciples, okay, from the boat, from the shore. And as he is teaching them, he's telling them about the parable of the sower. Afterwards, the disciples come and they ask him, what is the meaning of the parable of the sower, right? He explains to them. And then what he does is he returns home. Okay, now that's where we are right now. And either way, whether Mark or Matthew have the right um, chronological order or Luke, we now know that he's still back at home either way and that there's multitudes pressing in on him at his house. Okay, and one of the reasons that we, that we see this is because that's what's really happening. That's reality. And yet also, God is going to use once again another physical, real situation to speak to a greater spiritual truth or reality, okay? He's used the seed and the soil. He's used the lamp, the light, and now he's going to use a family analogy to say the same thing, right? The word of God goes out. As it does, It exposes what's in the soil, whether or not someone has true salvation or not. And this time, he's using one of a family relationship, saying this, the ones who are truly saved, the ones who are truly part of my family, or the ones who are the good soil and, are, and produce good fruit, or the one who the lamp lights and exposes that there's true salvation, is the one who listens carefully, be careful how you hear, and how does this person hear? He hears with a response of obedience, okay? Once again, just reiterating, repeating myself because that's the only thing we're alluding to. Look at verse 19, we're back at home now. Look at verse 19, ready? His mother and his brothers come to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. So he's at home, there's a crowd coming, banging on his door, they wanna hear him, they wanna talk to him, they wanna see Jesus right? And they don't necessarily want to see him all for the right reasons. We know that, but he's there. And what do they tell him, right? He's there in the home and they say, your mother and your brothers are here. Okay. Verse 19, the mother and the brother came to him. Now who's his mother? You guys should know this. Ready? Go. All right. Good job. The mother, right? We know his, his, his mother is named Mary. Luke Chapter 1, verse 26 through 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the Mary that's there. He's back at the house. He just gave the parable. He's telling people not everyone who responds to the gospel will be saved. Be careful how you hear, because it's gonna expose whether or not you truly are. And here he's about to tell them the way you respond is obedience. And before he does is a real situation. Mary's here, right? This is a real situation, but he's gonna use it to speak to a greater spiritual reality. Also, his brothers are here. Now, we know that Jesus has brothers, okay? Um, Some religions would believe that Mary was a perpetual virgin, okay? She was not, because the Bible shows us that she wasn't. She married Joseph and they had children, right? Jesus had brothers. How do we know? Well, let's just look at it. Mark chapter six, verses one through three. He went away from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Those are his brothers. Those are his brothers, his physical brothers, are not his sisters here with us. Sisters are mentioned also, but never given the name. And they took offense at him. So Jesus had brothers. Now we learned in the book of James, um, as we were discussing it when we taught through it, that James was indeed one of Jesus's what? Brothers, the one who wrote the book of James. We also understand and we talked about how hard that must have been, right? Can you imagine being Jesus's brother, okay? He was perfect, literally. There was nothing at any time that he did wrong, okay? So imagine always being the imperfect little brother, okay? All of the time, right? He never received any discipline, and all of the time he also knew better than mom and dad, okay, <laughs> try that one on for size. We, also, we know that later on, Mary and Joseph um, had children, they had, he had sisters, they were unnamed. Now we also know, listen, stay with me, that they did not believe, the brothers specifically did not believe for most of Jesus' ministry, okay? We know that. How do you think we know it? All right, it tells us, right? During his ministry, his brothers didn't believe. They appear to understand later on and believe after he raises from the dead. John 7, 1 through 5 gives us an account of his brothers not believing. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing, right? They're almost kind of saying, prove it. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even who? His brothers believed him. And the way in which you read this passage, if you look at the greater context, you know he's not talking about disciples. John's here talking about his physical brothers. So they did not believe him. But also, let me just tell you this, that there's more family context to this. Because we know from Mark chapter three, verse 21, look at this. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. His brothers didn't believe and they thought that he was crazy, right? Now, when they did this, maybe they were trying to seize Jesus because they were trying to save him from what they thought was his own mistake and he was gonna be killed by the Roman people. Or simply put, which we see in the scriptures, they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, okay? So his own brothers didn't believe, but he's got brothers and he's got a mom who does believe. We see in Matthew ten thirty six, Jesus says things like this: "And a person's enemies will be those of his own what household." He knew that from experience in some ways. He said Mark six four that a prophet is not with honor except um, his prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household, right? We see that he had brothers and they did not believe. Now I'm telling you this for a reason, but just stay with me. Acts chapter one verses. Verse 14 does tell us that his brothers did believe after he was resurrected. He makes sure to tell us the other side of it. Look at this. All this with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. His brothers were there. They were with him after the resurrection, after the ascension. Galatians 1.19 tells us, but I saw none, Paul tells us, I saw none of the other apostles except who? James, the Lord's brother. So here's what we understand. Listen, let me tell you this reason. We understand that his mother and his brother are there. His mother and his brothers are there. We understand he's in the house. We understand that there's a crowd. We understand that this is a real situation. We understand that they're pressing in. And Jesus is about to say something. And as you're reading the scriptures, you ask yourself the question, why is he saying what he's saying, right? My mother brother, and brothers are here, but who are my real mother My real mother, who's my real mother and who's my real brothers? Those who believe in the word of God. Is he saying that to denounce the brother's unbelief? You gotta ask that question. We're understanding what's the point of this text. Is he saying that because he wants to say, listen, they're not my real brothers. They don't even believe in me, right? I like people who believe in me better, right? Is that what he's saying? No, it's not what he's saying. Is he even referring to their unbelief at all? No, he's not. How do we know that? because he would also be then denouncing Mary, who believed, if he was speaking in that way. Who are, who's my real mother? Who's my real brothers? Those who, right, he'd be denouncing Mary too, so it can't be in that way, right? He's clearly not denouncing his brothers and his mother. right? We know from even later on, John chapter 19, verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother, this is him on the cross, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, when he says woman there, he's not disrespecting her, okay? But what we see in this, listen, follow with my train of thought. We know that Jesus had profound respect for his mother and profound love for his brothers. We even see this later on, right? So what's the reason why Jesus is saying this? It's not to denounce his mother, and his brothers. It's for a different reason, right? And the reason that he's saying what he's about to say is simply to reiterate the ones who are saved in the family of God, connected to me, my kin, right, are those who respond to the word of God with obedience. He's just using another physical reality to point to a greater spiritual truth, just like he did with the seed, with the soil, with the lamp, and now with the family, okay? So here's the meat. So, so what happens? They come to him. Listen, they come to him. They can't get in because of the crowd, right? And they sent word, okay? Look at verse 21. They could not reach him, or verse 19, I'm sorry, because of the crowd. They're prevented from coming to him. Verse 20. Look at this. And he was told. So now Jesus, someone comes and and shares this truth, this reality with Jesus. Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Now you think that Jesus at that point would just say, oh, let him in, let me see him. Where's my mom and my bros at, right? But Jesus, once again here, his mind is on the mission. And so although he loves them, he's not denouncing them. He's respecting them. He loves them. He's going to show love. And he knows that they're going to believe eventually. His mom does believe. There's no issues here of, he's not taking this opportunity to do that. So you ask them, what is the purpose? Well, first you see that Jesus just almost completely disregards the fact that they're there, right? Verse 21 starts with but. So instead of going along with what this messenger is saying, Jesus changes the subject in a way to use a physical reality to point to a greater spiritual truth. And what does he say? He says, my mother and my brothers, are those who hear the word of God and do it. Simply put, the ones who are truly in the family of God, the ones who are connected to me, here's how you know. When they hear the word, the way they receive the seed is by hearing and obeying. Now you guys remember when we looked at the parable of the sower, and all of the the seeds, all of the explanations, Someone heard the word of God first, right? That's how you're held accountable to the word. When you hear it, you're held accountable to it, okay? So when you hear the truth, you're held accountable to the truth. So right now, you are all held accountable to what we are reading. You're welcome. <laughs> True, though. That's the truth, okay? And that's, that is a, a, a very serious. So you are now held accountable when you hear You're held accountable. The ones who are truly saved, when they hear, they obey. That's what reveals the soil underneath, okay? So he says this, my mother and my brothers, the ones who are in my family, the ones who are saved, the ones who truly know me, right? The ones who are the good soil, right? These are the ones who hear and they hear with a response of obedience. So listen, we speak, of all people being children of God. And in very real and precious sense, um, in some ways that is true because God created the saint and the sinner. But the truest form of the relationship of truly being kin to Jesus means being in his family through the gospel message, through the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and when we trust in Jesus for salvation, we become a child of God in the way we are originally intended to be, spiritually. Our sins are forgiven, no separation. Our relationship with God is restored. By the help of the Holy Spirit, that relationship with God begins. That's what he's referring to, the one who is saved, right? This is the one who obeys after he is heard. And so why is he referring to this? How is this connected, again, to the soils? Well, remember soil two? Soil two looked like the person was saved. Remember soil three? Soil three looked like that person was saved. Remember last week, we talked about someone who even thinks they are saved, and yet the word of God reveals that they're not, right? So once again, there is some separation that he is creating that some truly are in my family, and some are not, okay? And the reason why this is so important is because it impacts you. Matthew 7, through 23, and we're done here, says this. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out many demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart me from me, workers of lawlessness. I want you to notice one very specific word in this passage. And that word is the word many. There will be many who think that they have a relationship with Christ, who think that they are the good soil, who think that they are not soil one, I mean soil two or three, who think, listen, who think that they are in the family of God. There will be many Listen, listen close, just for one second. There will be many, many, many. Not just, hey, there's going to be a few who think they're saved and are not. There will be many. And Jesus is trying to show the ones that are and are not. The ones who are are careful how they hear, they're careful how they receive the seed because it will expose the depth of the soil. And the way in which they are careful about hearing is when they hear, they respond in obedience. This is not your perfection, okay? But it's the trajectory of your life. Do you respond when you hear the word of God? Do you hold it for a moment and then release it? Do you go home still holding on to it and then do you conform your life to it? Do you look at it on a daily basis and obey what it says? Do you trust the promises of God by faith over what you feel or what the world tells you? Have you made up your own version of Christianity and how it works for you? I don't say that to, to hate you, I say that to love you because your eternity is at stake. This is what Jesus is talking about. Have you made up your own version of Christianity and just however it will work to combine with what you want your life to look like? There is a truth. There is a truth, and it's the word of God. And true believers, the characteristic that defines them are the ones who hear this word, who receive this seed. Something's going on, we got wind or something. <laughs> receive this seed, right? Receive this seed, hear this word. The lamp shines into their hearts. And what happens is that they hear it with a response of obedience. Be careful how you hear Acorns, maybe? The podcast, someone's gonna be like, what is he talking about? <laughs> so listen, let me just show you a few verses. I'm lingering because I want you to get this. There's no more to be said. This is easy, okay? I'm just lingering. We're, gonna, we're lingering here. We're just marinating in it, seeping in it for a minute, okay? So if you're like, where's he going with this? I'm already made my point. I'm just, I'm just seeping in it with you. John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are what? You're truly my disciples. He doesn't need to say that if there are some people who are not truly his disciples. And the characteristic of one who's one who abides in his word. Matthew 7:17 7, through 20. Every good tree bears good fruit. The, But the bad tree bears bad fruit. The good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 2, 4 through 6, Whoever says, I know him, But does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Obviously, there is a way to know because some are not in him and think that they are. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Obedience. Now let me just tell you that we do not believe you earn your salvation through your obedience. It's simply the revealer of your salvation or the lack thereof, the exposer of the soil with how you respond to the word of God when you hear it. So be careful, believer, to to continue to hear the word of God with obedience, because it may prove that your salvation doesn't exist. It's hard to even say that, but I want you to be truly saved. I want you to truly know Christ. And so a couple of ways that we can respond to this or we can allow this to um, penetrate our lives. Listen, the first is yourself. Just take yourself for just a moment. Take everybody else off the table. Here's the calling. When the word of God goes out and you hear it, you are now held accountable to it. You should be careful with how you hear it you should listen in a certain way. The way in which you should listen and respond to prove that you are truly his mother, brother, that you have a crop with good fruit, that you have grown and that you are gonna last is that you should hear it and when you do, you should respond with obedience. You should listen carefully. You should hear it. You should be careful how you listen and you should obey what you hear, okay? This is serious matter because then your salvation, the Bible tells us, is sure, and so be careful how you hear. When you come in on a Sunday morning, what you do with this word is, is very important. When you spend time in the word of God on a regular basis, be careful how you hear. Respond by taking it with you and obeying. When you understand the truth and you're held accountable to it, be careful what you do with it. Hear with obedience, or else your salvation might prove to be non-existent. Okay, so for you, be careful how you hear. Listen, do you allow it to conform your thoughts? Okay, I wanna spend my life doing these things, my money, my job, my vacations, everything else is so important to me, but it kinda works good with my Christianity. Okay, well, the Bible says something opposite. So why don't we hear it and obey it? Be careful how you hear, right? Or I could say to myself, hey, look, my sin that I wanna hold on to it's good, and it will work well if I bring it with me and coincide it with the gospel. Well, listen, the Bible says something different. So be careful how we hear. See how we do this? We gotta look at what the truth of the word says. None of, some of these things aren't inherently bad, but if we use them in such a way that Jesus is not our treasure, they do become bad. Secondly, listen, here's the point of application for you. Not only look at yourself, but look at your witness. As you share the gospel, understand this, that some people will respond differently. So when you share the gospel, here's how you should share it. Help someone, lovingly help someone understand how you respond to this message will reveal the condition of your salvation. And so listen, you're hearing this word. When you share the gospel, tell someone, you're hearing this now, you're held accountable to it. I just want to lovingly tell you how you respond to this word of God, okay, will determine whether or not you might know Christ or not. And so when you share the gospel, help someone to obey what the word says. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and uh, I know um, as we reiterate these truths, God, I just, I want us to get this. And... um, and God, I want us to understand, and I want us to be changed, and I want us to be, uh, to be conformed to your image. God, help us to be people who actively hear your word in the right and proper way in its biblical context, so that when we respond, we respond rightly with obedience God, I pray that we would, and yet I also pray that just as the disciples were being told what to expect when they are living on mission, help us to be people who go to the people around us, who go to the people in our worlds, and when we share the gospel, we tell them, we help them to understand that the response to the word of them hearing it needs to be obedience. To follow, to conform, to be changed, to change thinking, to change patterns, to not forget, to not let it be drowned out or choked out so that we can beckon people into true salvation. We ask you for this grace as we look at ourselves and as we look at our witness, that we would be true believers. We would be the family of God. We would be your brothers and sisters. And that would be shown by our obedience to your word. When the word goes out, we would respond and be careful how we hear. And the way in which we hear would be with the response of obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.